Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Changing Faith Podcast. Today, we are going to explore prayer. Now, I can say with confidence that most discussion and writing and teaching about prayer has been, for me, well, it's been a struggle. And often it's felt very rigid and confining and formulaic, which is really a huge turnoff. And more than that, if prayer is supposed to be a conversation with the divine, a communion within a relationship, then turning it into a formula can actually serve to stunt our connection to God. And so with this in mind, a few months ago, I received an email from a publisher asking if I'd consider speaking with two of their authors about their new book, Prayer, simply titled Prayer. And my immediate response was, no way. And, uh, but I asked for a copy of the book before I agreed. And upon receiving the book, I immediately found that this book approaches the conversation about prayer in such a helpful and inspiring and inviting way. And today, the authors of that book, Justin McRoberts and Scott Erickson, join us to talk about prayer. Justin is an author and a musician and a retreat leader. He's also the curator of the, uh, and host of the C podcast. He lives in the Oakland, San Francisco Bay Area with his wife and two children. And Scott is a touring painter and performance artist who mixes autobiography, biblical narrative, and aesthetics to create art that speaks to our deepest experiences. He and his wife, Holly, live in the Portland area with their three children. Justin and Scott, welcome to the Changing Faith Podcast. Thanks for having us on, man. We're glad Thank to be here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, thanks for taking a, taking a dive into the, <laughs> the often boring conversation about prayer. We're hoping that that's different. <laughs> well, why, what led you to write a book about prayer? Um, it, it, it kind of, ha- well, it, it, I don't want to say like, it just sort of happened. It didn't necessarily just, at some point we decided it was going to be a thing, but I, I, for like three years through the course of Lent, every Lent, I would post, uh, 40 short prayers, Facebook, Twitter. And I just paid attention to the way people, not only the way people responded, but the, but the, who was responding, because uh, it was a lot of folks who didn't have a tradition, et cetera. Hmm. And that, so that became kind of my favorite part of Lent, at least online. And it struck me like, well, maybe there's something here that's there. Maybe there's something more here than just like some stuff that happens on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, I, I saw Scott perform in Pittsburgh and had paid attention to his work from like a decade or so before having met him. And it was a relatively inspired thought. We sat down and started talking. I said, I've got these prayers. Would you be interested in maybe pairing up and doing, because what Scott does, and he can dig way deeper into it, is he, he creates sort of like, like, a, like a visual lexicon for the, for the practice of, of, of faith and prayer. And, and I said, you know, why, don't, why don't we pair up and try to crack this thing open in a different way? And that's really how it went. It was sort of, it was a thing that was happening in between myself and my online community for a few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, but, and, and Scott had been experimenting with, uh, like ha- connecting people to the faith life through visuals for a long time. And we both kind of came, I, I guess it was the mate sort of, sort of a magic moment of like, maybe there's something here for us to do together that will land culturally as a, like an actual artifact. Cause a book does something different than an online post does. Right. And Scott, what was your approach as you were putting together this book? Uh, I mean, Justin, so yeah, we talked about it. I think two, I mean, one of the conversations that Justin and I had was, uh, we're, we're like people who are of the church, but also we can, we don't, that's not the only community we can roll with. (laughs) So we were talking about, he was mentioning like friends who were like, who don't have any kind of faith tradition, but who were like, I I feel inclined to pray and I don't really know how I do that. And I don't want to go to church, but like, how do I do that? And so we, uh, I think Justin was, had been experimenting for three years on what would the language, well, how would you invite people to prayer? And what is, you know, what is prayer? Um, is it only where you, you know, you have to say, dear God, as if God doesn't know he's talking to you unless you say it? Um, do you only have to end it a certain way? Excuse uh, me, sir. Pardon me. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Just if you don't mind for a moment, I have a thought. 
Uh, yeah. Have you seen that meme that just came out where it says like, dear Emily wife, can you, Emily wife, just <laughs> Emily wife, get me a gallon of milk, Emily wife. And it says on the bottom, if we spoke to people, like we spoke to God. <laughs> so true, man. Yeah. Um, and oh. then I, uh, so he, I mean, Justin had seen my work in a number of ways, but also I, we both do this conference in Pittsburgh every year and I'm like the painter at it. And so I'm making these images out of all these kind of theological things. And I, uh, I had been, yeah. So he was like, would you, what if you came up with images to go with all of these prayers? And so I'm just kind of sat with it. Cause I feel like that was the work I was already doing. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And then we, and we really saw something. I mean, I think there was a lot of, we can talk about it, but there's a lot of unexpected fruit and, and things that happen mm-hmm. from it. But we just knew that this is, this resonated deeply with us. And as creators were, you know, you always, what part of the practice of being a creative is, is make sure it transforms you before you ask anybody else to be transformed by it. And so we knew that this, like it worked on us. Um, and that, uh, and I have, I have like little things, design things that I go, is this, would you be willing to tattoo any of these on your body? Like, it's kind of a, like, you know, and, and then, so there's that kind of standard. And then also like, Hey, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a Mona Lisa. It doesn't have, you know, it's, 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 it's a functional tool. So, um, yeah. And I, I've been kind of just in my career as a visual artist in, as a visual artist, who's in the Protestant tradition. Um, I don't have a ton of competition. This is what I like to say. I don't have a ton of competition, but I'm in a category that nobody really cares about. So uh, <laughs> I've just kind of slowly been building kind of a, a visual lexicon or a visual vocabulary to 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 kind of invite people into, um, I guess, deep spiritual conversations. So that's that's a. Uh, yeah, we, we wanted to make something for people who are in church, but also who don't want to go to church, and we're okay with that. <laughs> but yeah. do you think like, hey, you're neglecting this aspect of being a human being by not praying? Um, and we wanted to invite people into that. And so that's that's kind of where the book came from. And you speak about it in the book. Uh, I think it's Justin writes, we pray because we are human, not because we are religious. Yeah. And so what in your experience informs that statement about praying is a part of being human, as you just said, Scott? You know, so I, I've been around church and church life since like, mm, like mid nineties ish or so, uh, helped plant a church, uh, in 1998 and I'm still part of that community and, and it really begin for me. It really begins with like the tension people end up having with the practice of faith in a particular context, like mm-hmm. because at some point we run into like it stops being useful or it stops being helpful. It actually can become and you know as a pastor like the stuff you're doing suddenly maybe not suddenly but obviously you realize like oh snap some of what we're doing is actually an obstacle to people yes. actually having an encounter with God. Yeah. Yep. So if that's the case then what it can't also be the case is that, that this spiritual drive has emanated from the stuff we're making up. So where does it come from then? And then you pay attention to like the long, long, long history over millennia after millennia of like people in some way, shape, or form in various shapes and sizes looking for a uh, connection with the divine and different types of religion, different types of spirituality. Like it's something that's sort of, it's within us. It shows up in various forms of like ethical atheism. It shows up in various, it's why it's what drives veganism in some ways and shapes forms. It's like this, this something in our nature reaching beyond our nature to form and, and practice a connection with, you know, that, which is, you know, larger, bigger, like I, and I, I'm just not willing to leave it like, Oh, it's the universe. And it's just neat. Like, no, I, because that's <laughs> not what we're trying to do. Like no one really wants to stop there. Like I want to, I want to dig in. So right. we pray because we're human, what it sounds like and what it looks like is shaped and formed by the traditions around us and the things that we align ourselves with. 
uh, and some can sometimes be more helpful, sometimes you know be less helpful. But it doesn't start there. It starts because I'm a human being, and as a human being, I'm trying to. There's something in my nature that reaches beyond my nature. Yeah, and you talk about these obstacles that oftentimes faith traditions, almost without knowing, can bring. And prayer has largely been one of those for a lot of people because there's the way you're supposed to do it. I grew up hearing the acts of prayer, yeah. adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Yeah. Um, how have you seen this approach that you guys have taken, which is very unique, land with uh, people who would be more tied to a religious tradition? Go ahead, Scott. Yeah, you know, we've, we've had a little, you know, I, I've had some comments through social media of people go, well, like that, with that statement, we, we don't pray because we're religious, because we're human, but then people like really push back on it. Some people, um, because I think uh, there, there's almost like a dismissal. What can happen in religion is, you think that you need to become something else, and so you have to keep dismissing parts of yourself. And yeah. and, and there's nothing wrong yeah. with the process of transformation, but I, I think it's in this whole trend of kind of realizing we're embodied human, like our incarnation is how we are in the world. And so people have said, well, I'm, I, I don't know what their conclusions were, but like, well, there's this faith part of me, and I got to get rid of this like, earthly part of me, this human part of me. And it's like, yeah. those don't get separated. <laughs> no. Um, so I think, I think that's where some of the disconnect for people is, yeah. uh, wait, with that statement, it's just like, well, I'm just get, I'm just here to get to heaven. And, uh, it's like, I think Meister Eckhart has the best quote where he just says, if, if God's goal was to get you to heaven, he would have never made the earth. Um, <laughs> so, um, I think, so we're, I, I think we're both really interested in, um, a spirituality that feels, it feels good in your own skin. Um, uh, yeah. and if it's not, not to say there isn't something about, um, practices and disciplines to help form you, but, uh, we really want to just give people permission to be like, um, so we confront a lot of the stereotypes of what we think praying is like it's with your yes. hands clasped or it's at sunset or you got to raise your hands or all these things. And I think we have one prayer practice in the book where we're like, uh, it can be exercise, you know, moving your body can be a way of prayer. There's a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think, absolutely. I think yoga is actually the Hindu word for prayer. <laughs> so it's like, it's like a way of praying through your body. Um, and so, uh, we want to help people just like, you can't get, you can't get prayer wrong. What you can get wrong is never engaging in it. So we want to help mm. you find a way to, that, something yeah. that makes sense for you. Um, yeah, but I think, I think, I think I, I, I maybe I forgot what your initial question was about the religion <laughs> thing, but, uh, the obstacle, was it about the obstacles of, of yeah. yeah. So I think a lot of is what, uh, uh what we're, what we've been modeled and shown what prayer is, um, y you know, like even hearing the voice of God in your life. Um, I think if you, so my, as a visual artist, I, I, I think that what we're always confronting is an inner image that we have that is informing our language about things. So when we say, uh, I, I don't ever hear the voice of God in my life. Um, I bet if we could see that inner image of what that was, it's maybe because you think hearing the voice of God is like you're in a field and then a booming voice happens, like you saw mm. in a movie uh, yeah. or what you imagine. It sounds like Morgan Freeman. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Or, you know, wait, and, wait, wait. <laughs> it doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, which I think uh, Frederick Buechner has this really great essay that he wrote where he's he kind of – he's. He's saying, like, I don't think our real desire is to have physical evidence that God exists. I think what we're really looking for is, is does God exist in my life now? And uh, he goes, what if the what if the feeling that you have of something missing is the presence of God in your life? Mm. What if the mm. what if you the feeling that you have that there's something 
silent and missing is the is one of is 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 the evidence of God's voice in your life. You know, so it's it's just trying to twist those things. But what it's confronting is like somehow we gain this like inner image that we're like, well, I'm not accomplishing that, uh, yeah. or that's not happening to me, so I'm not hearing anything. Um, and I think that happens a lot with like what our ideas of prayer are. I got to be out in the woods by myself. Like the woods, it can be helpful to get into nature to kind of change the way you see and listen to things, but that's an outward fun- that's an outward faculty. All, prayer is always about confronting the inward faculties in you, and yes. outward things can help. That often they do. You often need to take a day and go to the beach. You often need to take a day and get into the mountains. You often need to go by yourself to help you realign, as Roar says, uh, get in touch with the real. But yeah, um, I, I, it's always, it's always those things are helping you to do an inward filtering and refunctioning and listening place. Yeah, yeah, and the way, or I should say, the world in which I grew up. Prayer, as to your point, was always this thing that I was supposed to do, a, a formula, the thing I had to say. I had to keep a short account of sins with God was one of the things they always heard. And the irony is some religious practices, I'm not going to say all of them, but the way I grew up, actually serve to keep you away from what's inside. Yeah. yeah. And so how, in your book, you're inviting people to go inward. What does that journey look like? Yeah, and I'll just Justin, you could. I'll just yeah. say this: we have actually, we actually have like a an, an image that we made to describe it, just like a yeah. funny metaphor. But is it's like a tan, a can of tuna or white salmon, if you'd like. Uh, and we say the can opener. You have these two handles. The 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 function of the can opener is like the words and the images, and those are the excavation tool. Mm-hmm. Um, because what we say is like, what's inside the can is what is the ever present ongoing conversation with God or like your existence or how you think you are in the world. Um, and that gets the hard casing is like the noise or ego or fear that keeps us from that. And so prayer, we think our words and images are there to like excavate that. So yeah. that's the journey is like, it's, it's not the content of the book. The book isn't new content. It's just, they're tools to help you get to the content, which is that, how do I actually think I, I exist in the world? Do I actually think God's for me? Do I actually think that God's involved with my life? Do I actually think there's a, a way of success for me? Yeah. That's, that's the real stuff. You know, like when, when we're, when we're, you know, I'm not fully sure about intercessory prayer. I'm still learning a lot about that. But when we're praying for our friend with cancer, there is that, like, would you heal it? But I think there's a step farther in that conversation, which is like, do you heal us? Do you care about our cancer? Are you involved with these things in our physical bodies that we're trapped in? You know, there's the there's the conversation that's behind the conversation, behind the thing, behind the thing, behind the thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And those are the things that that draw us into deeper prayer. But just yeah, and, and, well, and when you talk about you know the, the, the difference in the external and the internal, I and mean, part of the, again as a pastor, you'll recognize this. Like we, what we like to say, we like to talk about. I'm just like, going to point out that you're making a lot of assumptions about me as a pastor, <laughs> and they're all very positive. Yes, so thank you. You're quite welcome. I think you're a phenomenal <laughs> pastor. I think we you believe the best in you. Your people are blessed to have you. Um, that obviously you have a podcast. I mean, yeah, we like to that. What we like to do, what we tend to do, <laughs> my maybe mom, we like to. Is the subscriber? That's as much as I know. About the but that's podcast. still positive. I mean, if your mom's on board, you're doing it right. I feel like that's a good rule for life. Um, but like, what what we tend to do is we tend to say that we say you know this issue tore us apart. Like, and we do this congregationally, but we'll also do it interpersonally. This issue tore us apart. But it's never really an issue that tears people apart. It's the decision we make to no longer live together in light of an issue. So what the issue tends to do, like we'll we'll have a conversation about an issue. It can be a really, really important issue, the most important issue. But at the end of the day, whether we are together or not is a matter of will. It's a matter of like, do I want this? So the external thing is the issue. It's the thing we're talking about. But internally, what's actually being worked on is whether or not I have the willingness, the capacity, the desire 
to remain in relationship or remain in community with these people with whom I disagree. What prayer does over the course of time is, whether it's the way we pray or the things we're praying about, if we're faithful in the practice over the course of time, what we end up having to face, this is what Merton does over the course of his whole career, say, eventually the thing you're going to have to face, like the real enemy, the like the, the real, not enemy, like your real nemesis, like the real obstacle is what's going on inside you. So the way you deal with an issue, the way you deal in conversation with a community of people around an issue has not so much to do with the issue, not even so much to do with the people you're engaged with, but your willingness your your desire, your capacity internally. So any of the big issues we're dealing with, I don't think the issues tell, tear us apart. It's our will that pulls us mm-hmm. apart. Our, like our communities aren't being separated because we don't know what to do with gay and lesbian people in leadership. That's not really the thing. The thing in the thing for us is like, do we have the willingness, the capacity, the internal fortitude to engage with one another, to talk about ideas, and stay together? In that what we're being faced with is not the issue of LGBTQ rights in the context of the church. What we're being faced with is who are you as people? Like that's the question. And so what prayer does over the course of time is it forces us to this. You engage with the issue, engage with the practice, but eventually you're going to have to turn in and dig way down in here to figure out who you are, what it is you really actually want, like how deeply you want it. And then once you're able to answer those questions, then you can reapproach these topics and the people you're engaged with in a, in a more comprehensive, more spiritual, more Christ-like way. That's the difference, right? It's like Christ knew what he wanted. Christ knew what he was about. Christ knew, like, and that's why, like, in like the most vehement points of disagreement, he his whole thing was, you're like, you're my people, and I'm willing to die to keep you. Yeah, we're not there. You're not oh, no. my people, and I'm not willing to die to keep you. In my, and this is part of what Scott and I are after. Is like, that's not a matter of the issues. That's not a matter of agreement or disagreement. That is a matter of spiritual fortitude. That is a matter of your soul. That is a matter of prayer. We are not Christ-like because we've not been formed in the practice of prayer to look like Jesus, which is why we get to say that issues separate us, but issues don't separate us. We pull ourselves away from one another because we don't love well. Yeah. Yeah. And what you're getting at, I think it was Kathleen O'Connor observed that this is the original sin. The original sin wasn't eating the fruit. It's denial. Yes. And so when God addresses the man and the woman in the garden, they're shifting blame. They're pointing at the other. There's no awareness of what's going on within them. Yeah. And if you look at our culture today, everything is the fault of somebody else. Mm-hmm. And so what I hear you saying is this is a step toward um, being adults in conversation with those uh, <laughs> that we disagree with politically. Yeah. This is a step toward pursuing unity that Jesus talked about in John chapter 17. Yeah, and unity will not come because we can we can get folks or even get ourselves to land on the correct answer about particular issues. Unity comes as a matter of love and choice and will. Period. Yeah. That is it. Unity yeah. unity and togetherness long-term community is a matter of choice, it's a matter of will, it's a matter of love. And it is it is not in spite of but in, even in light of it and the tension of issues around which we disagree. But it's never about the issues, it's about my will, it's about my love, it's about my capacity, and that is a matter of prayer. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned you talk in the book um, some of the practices and one of the ones that jumped out to me is you talk about lament which almost seems to be a lost language for so many of us. And Scott, you just raised the question like, do you cure cancer? Yeah. Can you do this? Which sounds like the psalmists in their psalms of lament and they're accusing God of being far off and not hearing them. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you approach it and how that's helpful for us? Me personally? Oh, either, oh, one, either of one of us. Or you could talk at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> that never goes well. <laughs> people love that on podcasts when two people are talking at the same time. Um, wasn't that the whole premise of that show Crossfire that was on CNN? I think it might, I think it might have been, which is why it's not on TV anymore. <laughs> uh, man. Yeah, I'm, Lament is still oh, oh, something I'm learning. Uh and I don't, is grief, can we say that grief is also part of that? You know, um, 
I just my personality type. I'm an Enneagram four, so I got lots of lots of feels all the time. Um, Chris Hewitt says that's the diva. That's the, the diva. Yeah. Obviously, if you could see us in this room, uh, I yeah, I think that. Uh, so my per, I tend to want to like change my feelings by doing something else. And one of the things I'm working, I have, I have a spiritual director and I'm also training as a spiritual director, but my spiritual director is like, what, what does it look like for you to just kind of sit with it and, and go, there will be a change on the other side of this, but instead of like eating something or drinking something, what if you kind of allowed this to do its work and then to get to the next change? And so, and, and, and I think that is a window into what grief and lament is, is like, I can't, I can't go, I can't get to this other place unless this is the journey I must go there. Um, but we're in such a a culture of distraction and there's lots of ways to, to do different things. And so, um, I think I, I have to practice, um, allowing myself to, to like lament certain things. Um, I, this is just kind of a inward thought, but yesterday in my church, a a good friend, Leroy Barber, who's an African American man who's a pastor. Yeah. Is he the one doing the poor people's campaign? Uh, uh, yeah, he's done a lot with, uh, poverty and inner city work. And, um, but he, you know, it's the, it was, uh, we're February. So we're in, um, uh, black history month. And so he mm-hmm. wanted, he gave this whole kind of talk about, c- uh, connecting Exodus with the, the kind of creation of the American black church. And it was really fascinating. And one of the things that I was just thinking as I was sitting there, because it is, has, it's something that I've been doing over the years or have felt is like, you really have to, to understand somebody else's perspective. You really need to grieve all the, uh, all the kind of suffering that, not that you can grieve all of it, but you, to start to start empathy and to start understanding it, I think it starts with like grieving and lament yes. and going, what was your experience? What has your experience been? Look at all these injustices. Yes. Before I, before I need to say something or yes. go, here's my opinion about it. It's just like sit and listen and, and just grieve, grieve it. You know, like you said, you sort of let it take you, you especially something as massive as as poverty, yeah. um, much less something like death. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's bigger than you. Yeah, you don't you don't get to stand up and punch poverty in the face, which, you know, that's like that's what teenagers want to do. That's what college kids want to do with like the campaign against poverty. We're going to go punch poverty in the face. Mm hmm. Which is part of why those those missions end up being ineffectual over the long term because you run out of energy to punch poverty in the face, poverty in the face because it'll just keep standing there. But the path that Scott points to is like you look at the way again the shape of Christ. What does Christ do with death? Christ, we and again like weird sort of like big chested, you know, moralist Christian teachers would be like he punched death in the throat. Like no, he died actually. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't. He didn't throat punch death. He died. Yeah. Like it over. He allowed death in. He and like went into the grave and was overwhelmed by death. And then on the other side of death, there was a resurrection. Yeah. And that's the process of grief. That's yes. the and that's and it's why like prayers of lament are a way to say I'm not gonna stand up and like push back against this thing. I'm gonna let this all the way in and be overwhelmed and trust that there's a resurrection and new life. Not the same life when the sort of victorious, like throat stepping thing like, on the other side of me winning this battle. I'm probably gonna lose this battle. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna grieve this loss and hope that there's something new on the other side. Christ dies and is resurrected. Prayers of grief and lament are ways for us to enter into things that have honestly overwhelmed us. The divorce, the loss of the friend, the cancer diagnosis that you were sure was gonna come on the other side and the it the the medications are gonna work, the prayers are gonna but then didn't. You know, the loss of your church, like all of it is like this is all bigger than you and you're gonna die in it. And prayers of lament are a way for us to participate in that process so that we can actually have resurrected life while we're living here, as opposed to trying always to claw our way through towards life. Again, Walter Brueggemann comes back around saying, like, you know, we 
we don't really believe in a resurrected Christ. We like to believe in a God who never dies. Exactly. But no, he did. Like, yeah. he, and it's not it's not a victory over death in the way that we like to think of it, like NFL football. No, it's a victory in which you lose in order to have new life. Yes. Prayers of prayers of lament are ways for us to enter into that process so that we can have resurrection now. Yeah, yeah. I can give. A, we can talk I, a lot on the podcast about next steps for our listeners, and I think this is an incredibly important one because accepting death doesn't seem to be a part of the human condition. Yeah. So we either run from it, we fight it. And you see that wrapped up in so much, at least in the Protestant tradition that I was a part of, that it's just not the natural net. Like we don't go there. Mm -hmm. So you have to trust, you get a bumper sticker or a really great quote from somebody. Mm -hmm. um, and we ignore 50% of the Psalms. And when you talk about Jesus, someone was just pointed out to me that when Jesus is in the garden right before he's crucified, Judas walks in representing his pain, his betrayal, his suffering, his eventual death. And Jesus says, friend, yeah, that's what you came for. And there's just this beautiful acceptance of being able to move in and through that to the other side where there's that transformation. Yeah. yeah. And not I, only calls him friend, but lets him get close enough to kiss him on the cheek. Yeah. Yeah. Like he doesn't face punch him. Friend. <laughs> or throat punch him. It doesn't throat punch him. I mean, I'm an artist in my 40s and I wear mostly black, so I think about death a lot. Um, but, <laughs> like, I'll just give an example. Um, I have three young kids, um, a nine month old baby, and I got up early this morning to do my prayer practices. Not, not because I'm like super religious, but just a deep longing to connect and I, I call it my like sanity time before insanity starts and I made coffee and I read some stuff and I just got to the spot and I was about to do my like 20 minutes of silent meditative practice and then I hear a baby cry and <laughs> and I get a text from my wife can you come get him and I was like wow, this is like 45 minutes earlier than he usually gets up so my son has messed up my practice <laughs> Uh, my son has prevented me from praying. You know what I'm saying? I feel like kids uh, prevent, you, like, mess up a lot of your expectations of what you can do. Um, but so did prayer stop there? You know, did prayer stop there because I didn't pray the way that I wanted to? So there was this death of this expectation. There was this death of this you know, this imagined what it, what would be a successful and accomplishing. And I had to, but then what came out of that was like, so tight, you know, <laughs> it was probably, you know, I feel like a bad parent, but I was just like, these kids are always in the way of stuff I'm trying to do. <laughs> that's not being a bad parent. That's being an honest, honest parent. parent. You know what I'm saying? So all that stuff came up, bingo, there's the real conversation. There's the stuff that's in there that is not fun to look at for entering and allowing me to enter into the great cloud of witnesses of mm -hmm. parents who can't succeed. But like I had, you know, that's the stuff that I needed to address and see lament over go. Maybe it's true. What's the truth about it? Well, because I keep imagining all these things I got to do every day mm. to succeed. And so what needs to end? Is it being a parent no. Is it maybe just like, stop thinking that what you've imagined is that's what success is? Maybe that. All right. And okay. So, you know what I'm saying? So like it, that's the, so even though I didn't accomplish my practice of these kind of breath meditative stuff, I still was able to enter into the deeper conversation in me, which was ugly and not what I wanted to look at. But it's through that revealing and bringing up that I, that I can see it, that I can pray through it, and then I can move on and be freed and find grace, find a difference, you know, all those, yeah. those things, kinds of things. And so when you talk about that idea of your kids disrupting you, and there initially is this sense of like, well, my prayer time is over, mm -hmm. you actually in some ways kept praying. Yeah. And so what, what you're talking about, what I hear you saying is that prayer is more of an orientation to ourselves and our world 
or a stance, we might say, yeah. than a routine we have to go through every day. Is, is that what you guys are tapping into? Yeah, we're praying without ceasing. <laughs> as Jesus yeah. said. This is good, yeah. I think there's, I think there's helpful moments. Like, uh, I think quiet and silence are helpful aspects of prayer to get to that, but like it doesn't, I just don't think the conversation with the giver of our existence needs to stop. I think what we often experience in our faith is like, well, now that I'm doing this sinful act, uh, I've stopped talking to the creator. You know, I've stopped talking to the giver. And now I need to repent so I can start talking again. And I think yes. as you go farther along, you're like, I never stop talking. I might stop talking, but the conversation actually is always available. Um, so it's that I think with what comes with practicing prayer is understanding like, oh, this conversation's never closed. Right. So I can actually, I don't have to go through... Oh, how, what, what are my sins? You know, I don't have to go through those things. Those can be helpful functions to get to the true conversation, but like those aren't the prerequisite to then get to a conversation. Like that's always open. Um, yeah. Yeah. Justin, do you have anything to add to that? No, I love that. I think that's really strong. And I love the example of, uh, I love the example of the, the kid interruption. Cause like, that's like, that's an everyday <laughs> for a parent. Like that's an everyday death. Yeah. Oh yeah. Nonstop. Nonstop. Scott, you do a lot in the book with imagery and I'm wondering how can we use that idea of art imagery, um, in form, maybe I would say as a prayer practice. Yeah. So we say in the book that these are excavation tools. So a good function of art, visual art is, you know, it's good. It's a good question to be like, what does this mean? What was the artist's intent? That's a fine question. I think a better question is what is this exhuming out of you? What is this bringing out of you? And so really all the imagery there is for you to kind of, it's to kind of mirror or help you identify or exhume that thing in you. Um, so there's no right or wrong answer to it. Um, cause that's not the function of it to have a right meaning. It's, it's more of like, a it's, it's to, it's to help you get to that, that deep conversation in you. So yeah. I think if you wanted to then take that and then to apply that to your own life or even to like communal life, um, community, like a faith community, um, it's what are the things in your midst that are drawing out conversations in you or, uh, and, 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 um, so, I mean, I think that if, you know, in the history of Protestantism, which was, you know, Reformation was pushing back on a, on a gross overinflated Catholic and Orthodox religion, it, but I think it did a disservice to be like solo scriptura, like all we need is this book. All we need are these things written down. I understand the pushback, but I think it, 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 uh, it left out kind of a practice. And I think, I think one of the things that's really uh, that maybe we didn't even know we were missing, but um, I think our our spaces of worship, our spaces uh, spaces of spiritual mm-hmm. gathering, are not impressive because we used to make spaces that were a teacher. Like the whole, like if you go to a cathedral or a church, um, the whole thing was a teacher. Now we just make spaces for a teacher, and so when the teacher leaves the stage, there's nothing. It's just a room with sound panels. Um, and so we have totally like, you know, just taken ourselves out of like a space being a formational tool. Um, and yet we witness architecture. I bet one of your, I bet your most favorite restaurant isn't just the food. It's what the space does to you. There's a very, uh, that's a, those are, that's a formational tool. So, um, I think that, you can gather imagery, gather things. I even tell people, I was like, look, what is your favorite song on the radio right now? Like when it comes on, you're like, oh, this is my song. Why is that your song? Because mm-hmm. sonically and lyrically, the artist depicted what it feels like to be in your skin. And you're like, that's, that's what it's like. I love that. Or this gets me. This is what I want. You yes. know, it's helping you. Ident- so it becomes a vehicle to that deeper conversation. 
So what? So I just tell people like, what's your favorite song? What's the, what's your, what's your song right now? What's your what's the image that you see? Like my church, we're we're working on. It's a s- smaller church, but we're working on um, developing kind of our lit- our liturgy for the Sunday. And one of the things we're going to do, not every Sunday, but we're going to have like a moment of image contemplation, where somebody from the community, we're just going to show it on the screen. We're just going to ha- take like a sixty seconds to sit with it. And then they'll lead that lead us in like how it resonated with them, but they're going to invite all of that because then it becomes participatory for everybody. It becomes yeah. like, oh yeah, what is this painting? What is this picture? What is this thing I saw? Um, and what is it doing to me? Um, so that's that's I think why we. I also I mean I think like when you go into a church, you're like you're remembering the stories of the saints of Jesus, and those are really important things. I remember I used to go to this Catholic church for a season, talk about lament. I was in a real lament time in my life. And I would sit in front of the Pieta, which is like Mary holding Jesus' dead body. And I would just go and I would sit there for 45 minutes every day and just let that exhume the lament out of me. Yeah. To be like, and what was happening is like a certain season of my life was dying. And I... I needed to look at like, oh, God has witnessed that. A yep. mother has witnessed that. I, you know, and just to enter into that story helped me get in touch with like the story I thought I was in. And then as Justin was saying, but it also said, but it's not over. There's a resurrection too. Right. So maybe what that, are they, yeah, so there you go. You know, so that is, that's what the, that statue was the, helping me get to that. Thing. One of the unfortunate answers to the question too, when we talked about like how you know how do we start implementing or start, we we want to work with visual imagery, we want to work with art in our in our church context. <laughs> One of the answers is like you're not ready. <laughs> and, and like the and I think Scott will go with me on this is like there are folks like we're like hey how do we how do we start implementing art in our church services and like the real honest answer is like please don't. <laughs> you're not because you're not ready for this and what you'll end up doing with it is the same crap you do with everything else which it becomes this it becomes a consumable first and foremost and second of all it becomes a thing in which we's like you get to in in somewhere in the course of maybe an hour hour 15 minutes you get to decide what it means yeah it's just verifying what, you what it means what you're going to do what it means what you're going to do with it and for it yeah, and whether or not it has anything to do with your life, and then and then you walk out and you're done, yeah. which is like that's not the intention, not only of art, but you know of the gospel. <laughs> but yeah. it's like it's the thing we do with the gospel. In mo- in I'll go and say in most of our Sunday formats, yeah. is you walk in, you get to have you get to be handed something. You know what you're supposed to do with it. Mm-hmm. You get to decide if you don't know what it means. I'm going to tell you what it means before you leave, so you know how. So then then you walk out in full control. So then it becomes another control, just one more control mechanism where yeah. God gets to play the same shapes that are convenient for our life, mm-hmm. as opposed to what the gospel is intended to do, which is to unpack your soul so yeah. that you're constantly reimagining, having to reimagine what does it look like to live differently now? What art is supposed to do and can do, and what you're doing with the book is like, here, here's, a, here's an image. And here are just a few words. None of this is – you're going to walk away from me like, I know exactly what I'm su- supposed to do with this. It's the thing that's confounding about the book. It's yeah. the thing that the book does. Like, we're not going to hand this to you and you're going to be like, I get it. I totally understand. I read this in two hours. I locked – no, no, no. The yeah. book is designed to stop you and say, you don't know exactly what this means. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't know exactly what this means. And you don't know exactly what to do with this. Because the question is what's happening inside you? And the answer to that is like you don't actually know. So the question right. about like, hey, how do we start implementing church, you know, art and what have you and visual art in our church? The answer to that is like you're not ready. You're not a culture that's ready to do that. <laughs> you're not a culture that's ready to do that in a way that the thing's designed to do. And so you're going to cheapen the thing and we'd rather you not. Right. And, and what you point out about art that you're given a – like a prepackaged thing and you, you're able to take that home and then do four things with it this week that's going to save your marriage or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. the, the way that so many have been taught yeah. is that the sermon leads to the answers, is that the book is going to lead to some sort of success. Yeah. And 
the thing that was compelling to me about your work, your book, is that you can't get to a place in prayer where you're like, nah, oh, I've succeeded. I've done really, really well with this. Yeah. And what I'm seeing emerging for so many people is they've been in that world where you can do three or four things, here are the answers to this or that, and then they live a week or two and they realize it's falling apart. And to invite people into a conversation for the sermon to end uh, so that conversation can begin. Yes. Those are the kind of things that I see you guys tapping into. Yeah. And it's, you're capturing the minds and hearts of so many people who are tempted just to walk away from the whole thing. Yes. And what the invitation I felt is, no, don't walk away from all of it. Actually, you're walking into it walk in into some ways it. for the first time. That's mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really, really good. And so, you know, you know, the part of the, part of the intention of the book and of Scott and I spending time on the road is like, we'd like to help. Like you're not, we, you're not ready as a congregate. You're not ready as a college ministry. You're not ready as a, as a pastoral literature. You're not ready. And, and, and when you started your church, you weren't ready. And this is why you go to trainings. So you can learn to do this. You weren't ready to teach. So you had to learn to teach. You weren't ready to do this. So you had to learn. So it's part of what Scott and I are doing with the book and with our presence on the road. Say, Hey, this is the thing we think is important. could be really deeply impactful in your life. You're not ready for it, but we can help. So here's the book. Consider picking this up for your leadership team or your congregation over Lent. Bring Scott and I in to ha- to do a morning and an evening thing. Like, hey, let's let let us help. We're for you. Like, we're not like Scott. This is the, like we're we're not anti institutionalists. Like, we have a lot of critique about the way we go and practice church, but like, we're for the health of the institution, of the church. We're both not just congregates, but we've served in leadership. We partner yeah. with churches. Like, I yeah. believe in the institution, of the church. Yeah. That doesn't mean like I'm a champion of everything we do. And if I'm a great, if I'm an right. honest, if I'm an honest, great family member, I get to turn around to my aunts and uncles, and brothers and sisters, sisters, and say, "Hey, you're sick, and we want." to help you get well. Yeah. And we have a control problem when it comes to content. We have, a, we have a control problem when it comes to God. We have a control problem when it comes to the gospel. And part of what we're doing with the book is saying, like, you need to let go of this control where you get to figure out what God is saying in 30 minutes and go and live your life according to that. No, like you need some unpacking time. So let yes. let these let these images, let these short prayers start unpacking in you the stuff that God's actually doing or the stuff you need God to do so that you can go and re-engage with the systems that you already belong to. That's part of what we're doing is like, you're, you're not ready for, for art in your church, but we'd like to get you, we'd like to help get you to a place where you might be. So I should delete the Thomas Kincaid slide that I had prepared for next week. Without question. <laughs> I don't know. I think there's some, he's got some magic in there. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Not fully convinced we should totally dismiss Thomas. No. Uh, yeah, I'm maybe a little less uh, hardcore than Justin on it. No, I mean, I think he's good. You're not ready for it. I think it's more like uh, this doesn't, this is, we, I'm not disagreeing with Justin. I think what he's, I think what, what lands with me is like, um, this is maybe a way you're unfamiliar with. But it's actually, uh, it's actually been there the whole time in our tradition. It's just not how we built what we, it's not our usual experience. And there's a, yeah. there's a, a much, it's going to be a lot, it's going to be a lot harder because there's not this like, oh, I know I do this and then I get this. It's like, uh, it's, a, it's a deeper dig. It's going to make you confront some stuff you don't want to see. Um, but yeah. I think Justin and I have talked. We're like, uh, we don't. When we were talking to our publisher, because they were like, "What? What do you guys? What do you want to talk about? Or what's your marketing strategy?" And I sat and I thought about it because talking with publishers is a weird thing. But I, I was like, Justin and I don't have three secrets that you need to know about. <laughs> like we, we don't have anything for people. All like we don't, you know what I'm saying? Like I got these three, these four things. If you just apply this to your life, and it's going to bring you into. It's like we don't have any secrets uh, to to tell you. Uh, but we'll, but we're we've developed a way of like helping curate a conversation. So we come in and be like, yeah. I don't know what the content is. That's in you. Like I don't know what that is, but I can. I I've I've developed some things that I know helps us get to that. Um, and so we want to, 
come in and with communities and be like, hey, we we think we know this works. We've seen it work. We do this on ourselves. Um, what would it look like for you to begin that work too? Um, I think what Justin's hitting on to, you know, I think the whole thing about all these like touch point issues and stuff like that, it's, it's like, that's not the conversation. There's a deeper one in there. Um, like mm-hmm. you think these people have to become this way in order to belong. And it's like, yeah, because that's how you figured out how to belong. And so if that confronts your whole system of belonging, you, what would it be like to start seeing somebody else's way of being in the world that isn't your way of being in the world that confronts your narcissism? You know, like these are, these are the, these are the deep, this is Jesus saying to Simon the Pharisee, like, do you see this woman? Like it's, I know you resonate with this cause you've, we've been around roar, you know, but he's like all spirituality is just learning how to see. Yeah. Um, and it's learning how to see like, yourself and the other and existence in a completely in a way that we're i i guess we haven't been trained to and but we're slowly hoping that the 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 love of god would form us into that way yeah yeah well i'm so encouraged by the approach that you are both taking i can't recommend the book highly enough to those who are listening especially around lent because of the 40 days of practice imagine that that. it works right in there yeah perfectly (laughs) and i think there's there's something that you're tapping into that's so important about like scott you said you don't have three or four things that are going to change your life but there is this invitation into actually a lot of depth a lot of beauty, a lot of truth. That there, you have far more than three or four things to offer. And this is the hard work that you're inviting people into. Uh, and maybe that's why so few seem to do it. Yeah. Because it can be a little bit uh, terrifying. You guys have mentioned both the work that you do and going to congregations and creating retreats and weekends. And so how, if someone wanted you to come to their congregation uh, or find you online or have you speak, where can they do that? Uh, both our names, um, you can just, if with Facebook, uh, Instagram, both are great ways to find Scott and I, Scott is, uh, Scott Erickson or Scott, the Scott, the painter, uh, in both places. I think you just got the painter on Facebook too, right? Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram. Yeah. Scott, the painter. And then my website is Scott Erickson but you threw all the Scott, the painter, socials you can connect to that and yeah that's... and i'm just justin mcroberts everywhere yeah uh, okay and i'll put that on the uh the podcast as well so for those of you listening if you want to find either of them you'll be able to follow that link and then the book is titled prayer by justin mcroberts and scott erickson and you can get that anywhere books or are sold mm-hmm. correct um and i'm sure there's a few lying around it, like a goodwill somewhere let's hope i <laughs> Man, I actually think when you find your stuff at Goodwill, it's like you've arrived. You've arrived. You that happened to me. <laughs> a friend of mine took a picture. That's so of, good. And it, it, I, I'm going to be honest. I didn't have the feeling of arrival because it was only like three or four weeks after my book came out, and I was like, "Oh, that's not okay." That's dude. I did a live painting at an event, and I wrote my address or my website on it. Uh, two days later, somebody's like, "Hey, I found this painting at a thrift store." I was like. <laughs> Man, somebody paid me money for that. Like a well, lot of not good. And they <laughs> just good. were like, I don't have a place for this. Drop it off at Goodwill. I don't know. It oh, just means you've great. been loved and then discarded and, then, and discarded. Recycled. Yeah, recycled. Yeah, that's all right. Well, hey, fellas, thanks for being here on the Changing Faith podcast. Thanks, Michael. And uh, for those of you who joined with us today, thank you as well. And my hope is that we would discover the invitation of prayer. And rather than attempt to get it right or to do the three or four things, we would understand it's a communion intended to deepen our connection with God as we continue the inward journey. So that is it for today. And so until next time, as always, much love and peace be with you.